All right, today on Coffee with Ray and Mike, podcast number two, we have Julia Chris Beal with Sarah Hat, mother of two, real estate agent to the North Shore and all of Long Island, and even up to Westchester, and a straight hustler. Julia, yeah, thank, thank you, you for, for having me today. Thank for you. Joining us. All right, you guys awesome. is best. Love working with you guys, and I am so happy to be here. Let's take it away. And I love that you called me a straight hustler. Good one. <laughs> all right. Awesome. <laughs> How are you guys? Awesome. How are you? Good. Dandy as usual. Okay. <laughs> so tell us about Sirhand. Oh, we're jumping right in. <laughs> okay. No, about the, t- about the team, about... Can we, like, cut that? You're going to edit everything later, so I'm not worried about that. Okay. I mean, if we could start it all the way also. Like, no, that's fine. I'm like, okay. I think we've read the name a little bit, though. What? We've read the name. Read the name. Yes. Okay. So, okay. Go so ahead. Me first. Yeah. So tell us about Team Sirhant and what, 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 what is it? So we are officially on Long Island for the last year and things are moving along. We're in the Hamptons now. Uh, we have a Northport office. I do the majority of my business on the North Shore of Long Island. Um, I try to stick to the Gold Coast of Long Island, but I do have some deals on the South Shore. So very versatile and it's great. You know, it's new, it's fresh. There's a lot of uh, marketing going into the company, a lot of new uh, locations that we're expanding into and it's pretty awesome. How do you juggle mom, professional, real estate, kids, basketball practice, soccer practice? I have figured out a way to somehow manage to sleep. Yeah, because it's got to be tough. It can't, it, it it's not very easy. tough, but I think on average, I probably sleep four or five hours, which is not enough. <laughs> Hence the Botox needs. <laughs> Botox. Botox. No, just kidding. Shout out to my girl. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, honestly, it's, it's a juggling act. It's not easy. Um, I look at business as, you know, things are volatile right now as you guys know the market is very iffy and a lot of people don't know what's going on with house sales long island is definitely um feeling it we're feeling it um not as much inventory there's definitely buyers out there but it takes a little bit longer to close a deal takes a little bit longer to negotiate these deals buyers are not jumping the gun like they were so things have definitely shifted but it's an opportunity for someone like myself. You guys know how I work. You know, it's where the strong prevail. Is that the word? Yeah. yeah. And those that don't put their efforts in and kind of just sit on the back burner are going to burn out and not really do business. Being someone that grew up in this industry, I feel like being a real estate agent is something that people take as a part-time job and they hang their license somewhere. And um, if a deal comes around, they jump on it. I don't think that's true. I think it's a full-time job. Yep. Um, do you, and there's definitely two sides of the business. There's the sellers and the buyer side. Right. Do you focus more on getting listings and putting them on the market and waiting for a cobra or do you focus more on people who have a need and then kind of just going on, on the track and finding them what's out there and kind of deal together? So there's a few things. So back to what you were saying about being part-time, this is definitely part-time for some, someone like myself, this is beyond full-time. This is a seven day a week 
career for me. I pivoted into this three years ago and I've always been a hustler and I cannot do this part-time because I feel like there's so many opportunities at stake and different clients that I work with that need full-time attention. Um, so I do find that it's not part-time for me. Kudos to the people that do deals part-time and have all the time in the world for their kids and everything else in the world. But unfortunately for me, the more I work, the better I am. Um, that's how I've grown. That's how I operate my business. Um, what I am finding though, I do have a lot more on the listing side. I do have a lot of buyers as well, but it's very hard right now to get into any of these um, deals. And I do have a lot of relationships and off-market opportunities as well that are brought to me. So I do like to work on those with clients. Um, and of course, like just having the relationships with local local developers, local businesses, everyone knows that I'm in real estate, um, different clients that I work with that you know are looking for those off-markets. Not easy to come by, but again, I'm, Wherever the business goes and wherever there's an opportunity, up there. <laughs> Here, here's here's something that I think most real estate investors have a have a fine line with. Is it true or false that if you if someone is trying to sell a property and they come to you as, an, as a broker, uh, is it better to list the property and have a mass influx of potential buyers or is it better to have that pocket listing call a handful of people and juggle it through the off-market brand so what i've learned and again i'm newer to the business but um just from what i've seen what i've learned what i've personally experienced i think when you do put a listing on the market you do get more eyes on it you get more attention you know and i think qualified buyers are going to come in with serious offers and they're going to want to get the deal done. Um, Off-market opportunities are great, but I just don't think it's getting enough marketing and exposure, especially working with the company I'm at right now. Obviously, we have a lot of expansion from New York City coming out here still. And the good part about you know having a New York City-based brokerage is that we have a little bit more access to those buyers coming out. I had a question from what something you mentioned earlier. So with you're saying right now, like what do you see as the biggest problem right now? Do you think it's the buyers not being realistic with pricing, trying to get a deal? Do you think it's sellers trying to sell for too high? The lack of inventory? All or it. it's all of the above. It's so it's all of it. it's all hitting at one time. Yep. So I personally can speak for one of my listings. Great listing, great location, great school. I thought it would have flown off the shelves by now. It's only on for a week and a half, not too long. Um, in this market, but what I'm finding is the other competing agents that have properties on the market, they've already done $100,000 price drops. They're not getting the offers that they want or the exposure that they need, and they're dropping the prices already quickly. So in the last like 60 days, like today being April 20th, you've seen rates have come down a little bit from where they were 60, yeah. 90 days ago. Has that helped more people come out to like open houses, get qualified for mortgages again, or you think that's causing issues still? They're still looking again, like I'm in a price point. It's not as, um, you know, the million plus homes are, well, you know, again, million and a half and under are moving a little bit quicker. And I think they always have anything above that. They're sitting a little bit longer. The buyers think that they have negotiating power and on some properties they do, but it's also getting a realistic expectation of these sellers that want high and they're not 
willing to budge on great offers. And are most of the buyers today, are they looking for a home that's, you know, us being in the business of investors, like fixing, flipping, ground up construction, are most buyers now in the market, are they searching for homes that are done where they don't have to do any work and it's moving ready? Or are they comfortable doing the work knowing, hey, I'm going to buy this house for one, two, but I have to put two, 300,000 in and deal with planning, um, getting plans approved, dealing with the contractor, which some people love, hate designing and all that. What are you seeing most from the buyers? Are they looking for something finished or? The buyers want finished products. I think that's been across the board for a while now. Um, They don't want to pay the money to, you know, again, prices are high. Materials are still high. Um, A lot of my buyers that I'm working with personally, they don't want to get involved with new construction from the ground up at this point. They don't want to wait two or three years. They want things that are either 50% done or finished um or if the house needs minimal work they're willing to do that but i haven't really seen that many people coming in personally that feel that they want something from the ground up at this point and then most of the buyers that are coming in today is it is it like young couples that just had a baby looking to move into a house is it people moving from manhattan are people still moving from other states and saying like hey i got relocated job wise and i have to be on long island where where are you seeing coming in from brooklyn queens and new york city they still are um, the majority are, you know, at least what I've seen on my listings, a lot from Queens. So coming from the boroughs. And they're coming for the schools more or are they? Schools. Schools and property. So that's what we've been seeing a lot also. A lot of our investors have been going into spaces where they're picking the space where they want to do fix and flips or ground up based on the school district, knowing that it's going to be easier to sell because the family's going to come in, whether it's having the two incomes or having whatever, the, having the schools, a uh, another expense you don't have being in Queens or Brooklyn or anywhere else where you might be sending them to private school or paying for that. Right. As a, as a real estate broker, do you find it advantageous to get involved on the whole process? And by that, I mean, introducing a mortgage broker, introducing an insurance agent, introducing an attorney, or is it better to just stick to your trade and say, I'll find you a house and homeowner, you go kind of, I like to call myself a one-stop shop, essentially, um, based on the relationships that I have. And you guys know I've worked with you guys as well. Um, Having a team in place so that your buyers can come in and feel comfortable with who they're working with and having that referral to all of the entities as part of your extension of your team, I think it's really important to have because then there's a trust factor also. They know that they're working with you. They know that they're working with an attorney that they can trust, that they like, um, title, mortgages, all of it. You know, appraiser, so, appraiser <laughs> exactly. Um, just we, we need to have these relationships in place so that we can all constantly connect with one another and be on the same playing field so that we, you know, once we're going through the deal, once the contract is signed, obviously every step is crossed and executed accordingly. It's often said your primary residence is not an investment and you don't really go about it as such. Do you find that most of your buyers who are trying to buy a house for themselves as a residence understand that? And if they have to go up X amount of dollars to make the deal work, they're willing to do it? Or are they nitpicking and trying to get the best deal possible, but that sometimes doesn't work out because it's not an investment? They're not really looking at it from an investment perspective because they're looking to live in these homes 
and not flip them essentially. And what I try to school some of my buyers on is you're not planning to be there for a year or two, right? You're looking to be there. And on average, the statistics are seven to 10 years that most people are staying in their homes until they realize they either have to upsize or perhaps they don't like the school district or whatever the variables are. Um, so they're, they're not looking at it as an investment situation unless they're obviously looking to, to flip it or only stay there for a few years and then move out of state or to some other location. What's, what do you think is the biggest driving factor in a family's identification of a primary home? Is it the cliche kitchen and bathroom? Is it the backyard? Is it All the of color? The of the, is it everything? All of the above. Kitchen is a huge factor. <laughs> Having an open floor plan is huge. A lot of people want those open floor plans. But believe it or not, I do have some homes that I have currently on the market. And like some of them have more of like you know, you have to navigate the rooms and they're all, there's walls up and whatnot. Some of the buyers coming in don't want an open floor plan. They want to have an actual dining room, an actual living room, family room, like individually spaced out. Whereas there's others that like this open floor plan and it's really just case by case. But schools are important, obviously, for the ones that are coming in with the children, um, local restaurants and stuff to do that you know is important to a lot of the the families coming in especially the ones with children um first-time home buyers i work a lot with them as well so their goal is to stay in the house get married have children and grow in the house um so a lot of different variables we've noticed you do a lot of luxury high-end homes true or false stage or not stage not staged. Not staged. Nope. I make them look really good, though. <laughs> <laughs> great photography, great videography. Um, you know, one of my recent list listings, I was rolling around on a hoverboard. And I don't know, I'm a fun person. I like to, like, make it a little bit more creative than the yeah. typical and whatnot type of style. And I think it's important to be a little bit different versus having the same approach than everyone else has yeah. um again we're not in new york city we're in long island sellers have a different expectation some of the sellers are a little bit older than the younger generation coming in so they want that buttoned up style so it really just depends on the client you're working with and what they're willing and open to allowing you to do so i mean we had a listing that we put on the market out east it's still on the market actually now um, went back on, like we did a whole lifestyle shoot as if like we were living in this house, right? And showing people a lifestyle. They're coming out to Long Island. They're paying a few million dollars for a property, but what do they get in living there versus living in New York City or Queens or Brooklyn? Um, I jumped into the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Full on bathing suit and everything. That's great. You know what? Who cares? It yeah. took one for the team. After <laughs> have I, get it. I see you laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If I would have jumped in the pool, it wouldn't have sold the house. But uh, this place been a West place. Well, uh, I mean, it looks good. For, like, lifestyle. Traditionally, real estate, and I, I see it very different now. Like back in the days, people would take a couple pictures, stage a house, post it on MLS, and they would host an open house. What do you think has changed a lot in the industry 
um, your previous business, you were in event planning. Yep. So obviously using that experience and what do you think has worked for you to make it different to like land the listing, sell a home quicker, um, that's different. I, I know I see the virtual tours now, obviously the content and posting and creating like a follower base on social media. But outside of all that, is there something new that you're doing that maybe wasn't the industry norm? Because being in the industry, like I think being three years in is still within in its infancy, but still growing your your listing base, your client base um, in a tough market. Through all that, you're obviously doing something different. Right. And what do you think that you're doing that maybe is helping more and helping you get clients in that maybe wasn't the norm in, you know, as a real estate agent or a broker for all these years that you can change a little bit, you know, and, and I know you mentioned like making it fun and being outside the box. Yeah. Um, so what I find is the most valuable lesson I've learned in these three years is just to be real, just to be myself, go in there with no expectation and just put everything out on the table to these sellers and be realistic. Um, I don't like to go in with false expectations. Again, people hire you. They want authenticity. They want to know what you can do differently for them versus the traditional style of like what you said, putting a house on the market, just put some photos in there. And that works for some properties, but there's others, especially in the luxury market, you're painting a picture. I like to really paint a picture for these sellers, but also for the buyers when they come in where they feel that I'm selling them a story. And I did the same thing when I planned events. When I planned corporate events, it was very buttoned up. I worked with Fortune 500 clients, very high end. You know, there was no nonsense, no bullshit behind it. Am I allowed to curse on this? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, Fuck this. Oh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> All right. So painting a realistic expectation and showing buyers and sellers, especially the sellers, because obviously in, in landing a listing, I have found that selling too much has actually turned people away personally when I'm authentic and I just get to know them for who they are and their families, what they love about their home, what is the most important factor of them being in their home for these last few years and what they what their favorite part of their house is and the memories that they've made there and just being realistic and authentic. I, that's helped me. Uh, social media has helped me just in general, not only for showing authenticity of my own personal life and who I am, being able to connect with others and really just growing from there. How do you find most of your listings? A lot of referrals, um, just being out there. I am fully out there. I am all over the place. People can't keep up with me, and I love it. I love it. That's but like, do you sleep? No. I don't want to sleep. There's no time for sleep. No time for sleep. Money does not sleep. No. And it's so cliche, but it's true. And I love meeting new people. I love being out there. Um, and that's who I am and who I will always be. I will change for if a brokerage told me not to, then that's just not who I am. But that's why I love what I'm doing and I like being authentic. So. Do you find it's better to have an isolated area and a certain concentration? Or if you are 
a real estate broker, whatever listing comes to you, whether it's Brooklyn or the Hamptons or Manhattan or Newburgh or Jersey or Pennsylvania, as long as you're, there's a situation to sell, you'll take it on. So I've sold in Westchester and I've sold out east and Nassau and Suffolk, as well as South Shore and North Shore. Um, yes, it's definitely important to know your own personal market. So I know these these areas locally very well. I know all the restaurants, the schools, the parks, the railroad stations, you name it. Once you start venturing outside of those areas, if I don't know a location, I will educate myself on it. And I think that that's really important if you are selling a house or bringing buyers there that you know the areas that you're working in only because, again, how can you sell a property that you don't know anything about? Um, so again, I go where business goes. Is it great to be in an area where you know the best or be the expert of your area? Yes, I've been taught to be the expert of our area and focus on it. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So I don't mind being all over. I have to. And, um, so I got a, another random question, but so you were in the event space and then what made you want to get into real estate? Obviously being a broker outside of making your own schedule and all that, like what, what drew you to it the most? Um, I'm actually working more and harder than I did in planning corporate events because there was more of a structure with that. And I knew what was coming up and what I had to prepare for a few months in advance. This is like a day to day situation. I don't know what today will bring or tomorrow will bring. Um, you know, today I literally was running to a showing this morning, went to see an off-market property after that, you know, again, then came here. So it's like a lot of different variables every single day that I'm dealing with. Um, so... Oh God, what was I gonna say? Was it something that like, attracted you to real estate to like jump yes. into it? So COVID obviously destroyed my meeting and event planning business. Um, I was a consultant for many years after I worked full time for a company, for a few companies actually. Um, and then once COVID hit and my situation, unfortunately being a solo parent, and I realized that what am I going to do to survive? I have no choice but to just grind every single day. I didn't want to be behind a computer commuting every single day to New York City, but also everything got shut down during COVID. So I got my license, a few friends of mine um, said to me, you'd be really great at real estate and you're good at sales, even though I was never in a sales background. And I took the plunge and I did it. Was there any points when you first started, you're like, what the hell is going on here? What I was freaking out. I didn't make any money for like nine months, <laughs> but I had an amazing mentor. I had an amazing team that I was working with. Um, my company was very supportive of me and what I was doing, but it was tough. I mean, I literally did rentals in the beginning and I didn't get my first listing for nine months. Wow. But I just kept my head down, kept going, didn't stop, didn't say no to anything. I took every opportunity and I still do. Um, you know, every opportunity that comes my way, I try. If I don't get it, I could look at it and say I still tried. Looking back, to when you first started as a as a agent, now that you're in the business and you know all the facets of it, would you pick a different aspect of real estate to focus on or you still like the brokerage world? I still like it. 
Um, in a Is way, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I have no idea. I go day by day. I like to be in front of an audience. I like to manage. I think I am good at connecting people as well. That's like one of my, I've said it before in another podcast. It's one of my gifts. I feel like I'm a good connector of people. Networker. Networker. I love it. Um, it's part of what I did as a planner. I used to connect, you know, all different corporate assets and put them together into these boring meetings. And I'm sure you've been to a bunch of boring conferences and just should figure out ways to, you know, those like round tables no. and breakout grooves. And they're great. They're informational. Like you learn a lot, but like, how do you bring different personalities together and make it fun, do team building. And like, that's what I'm used to. And that's what I always loved. So in bringing that into real estate, I think there's maybe a piece of bringing that in as well. I don't know. We'll see. Everyone thinks that something they own is likely worth more than it is. So you have a seller, they want to sell their property. They're completely unrealistic about the value. You show them the numbers, you show them the prices, you run through the data, you're miles apart. Who wins the broker or the owner as far as the sales price? Or the asking price? So I've lost deals because I've been realistic and the seller will say, I'll just go with another agent that says I could list it for $300,000 above that. Okay. Somehow they end up coming back to that number if it, you know, ends up selling or God bless if they get those numbers. But, you know, everyone has a different perspective on things. I just like to keep it real. Um, it's really just a broker needs to convince the seller of what their house is worth, what they think they could get. We don't have a crystal ball and we need to just somehow get to the same playing fields where we strategize together and see what happens and how it works to get to those numbers and get those buyers in the door. The goal is to get buyers in the door. We don't want to push them away to the competing listing down the block that is priced accordingly. Project goes live, listing is up, not much activity. At what point do you drop the price? I like to reevaluate 30 days in, in this market at least. Um, I just had this conversation yesterday with one of my sellers. We have an offer on the table and they're not willing to accept it only 15 days in. Totally fine. But I said, let's wait till 30 days then and see where you are. But you are taking a risk in losing some of these buyers that are coming in with strong offers. It's a risk they're willing to take. I could only convince so much. Better investment property listing or primary home? These days, primary. I don't know. Depends. Are there deals? <laughs> I don't know. There's like no deals for an investor right now. What are there? I don't know. So I don't really. People losing their properties. I think yeah. people are urgency to. Interest rates are fluctuating. Let me know. Adjustable. <laughs> <laughs> you have REOs? REOs, working on them. <laughs> what do you have? I, what are you working on, bud? What are you working on? <laughs> um, 
I definitely agree with that. The the primaries, I, I do see people posting pictures, and I don't know if it's post part of their content. There's lines at open houses again and all that. But then it goes back to the re- realistic part of, like, are they actually offering what they're seeing or are they just coming to see it because it's there? And then as as an agent, if you, let's just say you post, uh, you list the house for a million dollars, at what number do you think, like, do you go back to your buyer and say, like, hey, we got an offer at 950, it's good. Like, if someone comes in at 900, you might say, hey, don't take that. But like, at what number under that million would you say, hey, like, this is a pretty good offer, you know, being on Long Island, you're not going to pay mansion tax at like 980, so it might be a better deal for that guy to come in. Like, what what gets you to push them or talk to them either into a number and say, hey, if, if you want to go for your full ask, then you might lose. So we have to look at their terms also. We need to make sure, obviously, my goal is to make sure they're qualified buyers that are coming in. And again, there's a lot of moving parts with that. You guys know it's you know, just a matter of qualifying them, making sure that they make making sure that I connect with their lender. The majority of my deals lately, they're not full cash deals. Um, where it was maybe in the past last year, prior to that, a little bit more cash on the table. Now they're back to, you know, they're 20% and the rest is being financed. Um, so we need to make sure that they could get to the closing table and giving the reassurance to the seller that they are qualified in order to do so. You know, right now it's tough because a lot of the sellers don't want to hear a lower offer. They don't, they'll wait, but then they're losing out on all these qualified buyers. So the question is, you know, how do we convince them in taking an offer and are they going to hold out two or three months or are they looking to make a move quick? It really depends on the seller's situation. Um, They might have something that they're going into that they need to just, at this point, just pull, you know, pull the trigger and just move forward and take an offer. Or they're not in a rush and they're like, okay, I'll wait and see. But then that's a risk that they're willing to take. But my goal is to just put everything out on the table for them, let them know what we have and be realistic. And put, obviously it's in their hands. They're in control of the deal. It makes sense. How, how involved you get in qualifying a buyer? I'm pretty involved. I speak to their lenders. I make sure that I know all their financial backgrounds, obviously, because anyone can get a pre-approval. Um, we don't know if it's legitimate or not, so we have to do a little bit of research, see who these buyers are, where they're coming from, their financial backgrounds, um, and just make sure that they're they're eligible to get to the closing table and we won't have any hiccups which again we don't have a crystal ball but that's funny it's one of the questions we normally ask is if you did have a if you had a crystal ball or if you could go back in any time and change either something or go take a different path in life is there is there something uh whether it's in the real estate life or anything you could change would you change it if if you if the, the question is if julia today could sit with herself at the age of 20, what would you tell yourself? A lot of things. <laughs> I would change a lot. Well, professionally. No, professionally. <laughs> so, I mean, I, right out of college, I jumped right into like a career path that I loved. I really loved it. I love to travel. That's still part of my lifestyle. Um, so I would stick with the travel business, I would say. Um, I like to like dip into a few different things. Um, I love everything about like motivational speaking and 
positive mindset. I think as my life has transpired into what it is now, um, I'm learning a lot of those mindset tools and I'm changing every day. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. So 20 years, oh God, 20 years ago. Oh no, more. Yeah, 20 years is a long time. Um, I don't know, like again, I graduated 20 years ago from college. I'm not that young, but I try to be. You have, you have a time machine, you go back in time, you have five minutes with yourself at the age of 20, what's your number one advice to yourself? Just be you. Do what makes you happy. Don't listen to the noise around you. Uh, whatever motivates you, whatever brings you peace within yourself. I also think if you have an idea of something that you want to try, try it. And if it fails, it fails. But at least you could always say that you tried it. Um, fails, you know, it's okay. Exactly. If it fails, it's okay. There's always something else that you could pivot into. Um, the world is constantly evolving. There's so many opportunities for all of us. And I think if I was 20 years old right now, I would tell even my nephews who are 20 years old, I would tell them, just try it all. And if it fails, it fails. At least you could say you tried it. And um, just to never give up on your goals and your dreams and keep pushing no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in your life. Um, situation cha situations change. Um, we don't know where our life is going to go within a year from now or a day from now. So if you are given an opportunity, fuck it. Try it all. Good. As, as a real estate broker, you get a phone call and the deal that's being sold is opportunity of a lifetime. Is there a conflict of interest of, do you buy it? Do you bring it to someone other than somebody else? It's an amazing deal. What do you do with it? For myself? Or for like an investor? For, for, someone calls you, they're selling a $5 million house for $2 million because they're just out of state, they don't know what it's worth, and they want to just listen for $2 million. What happens? I would see if it's worth it for me to buy. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll call you to find it. <laughs> there you go. I feel like give me some money. Give me some money. I mean, no, for real though. Uh, yeah, my, my, question, my question is more like, if as, as, a per, as a real estate broker, you're, you're being retained right. to make a deal. Yeah. If a deal comes across your desk that needs to be made and it's something that's just, the, the seller is just giving it away, how do you draw the line between that boundary line of like, what, what do you do with it? Do, do you call a friend? Do you call your biggest client? Do you tell the person, hey, you're, you're giving it away, don't do that? Like, what, what, what happens? I mean, you want to get like a real market analysis of the property and see what it's really worth. Right. If it is really a deal, you bring it to like your top people that would have interest in something like that, because you might not like it, but you might. And I wouldn't allow that seller to go shop it around. I would try to get you the best buyer for that property and move it quickly. Set on a number. That's the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> They're set on a number, and why not? They need the money for something. Right, exactly. I mean, and there's all different circumstances. So you might have a death in the family, a divorce, bankruptcy, whatever it is. You don't know what their financial situation is. 
and what their needs are. And, you know, my goal is to get someone like yourselves or another investor or somebody that's willing to pay the price on a discounted opportunity. Makes sense. And not just let it go to somebody else. Or I'll just call you. And buy it. And I'll buy it. <laughs> and flip it. Sometimes you got to flip it. Works. All right.